Hello, welcome along to another episode of Feature Length. I'm Richard Newman, and as always, accompany me on the pod is the font of all knowledge. That's when it comes to film, anyway. Seth Mason. <laughs> Thank you. How are you doing? I'm all right, how are you? Yeah, very good. good. Ready for this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Well, yeah. on the programme today, film reviews as we delve into yet another alien invasion in Los Angeles with the imaginatively titled Battle... Los Angeles. Owen Wilson lives every husband's dream in Hall Pass and the latest politically charged drama centering on Iraq, Fair Game. We'll also catch up on the Adjustment Bureau and Unknown and Seth will begin the long-awaited basic introduction to foreign cinema. And of course, it's been a while since our last pod, so we'll have a quick look over the Oscars as well. Let's begin with Battle Los Angeles then, shall we? Um, because we've literally just walked out the screening for that. Mm. Yeah, so uh, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what did I think? Um, I thought it was um, kind of did what it said on the tin. It was a battle in Los Angeles. It was a battle in Los Angeles. It wasn't bad though, was it? Because no. I, so I, I actually expected it to be a little bit sort of like, you know, we've seen so many of these films and um, I thought it was going to be very similar to all the rest of them. But actually, it was all right. Well, when they try and do those kind of films, they actually always try and do them with a kind of an edge to them and a kind of a slant. Like with Cloverfield, they did... The, the sort of handheld, they did the New York thing, they did it very much from the, the character's perspective of just, you know, these ordinary people, and the monsters just kind of happened to be the background. The same with Monsters, which obviously came out, you know, last Love autumn. That film. Yeah, which you, I didn't really like that one so much. No? No, I thought no. it was a bit ploddy. But, I um I mean, that, again, was a bit I like thought that this. Was, I thought that was different. That wasn't like this. Well, it, it was like this in terms of, you know, if you could sum it up in three words, if you had to sum it up in three words, you'd kind of say alien invasion. You'd probably say romance with this Surely one. if you were summing it up in three words, it would be battle, <laughs> Los Angeles. No, not mon no, no? Mon we're talking about monsters Okay. Now. Oh, right. Sorry. Right. Okay. Keep up. Right. <laughs> um, so I think battle Los Angeles basically just unashamedly went at this full throttle with a big budget. Hmm. And I think actually they haven't really done that or they haven't certainly haven't really done that in a while. Um, with these sort of new ultra modern, you know, invasion films, they've sort of always gone for an angle. Um, there was a say, skyline, monsters sort of had there? the indie romance. Yeah, I was just about to come on to that. Actually, skyline was kind of like this different. Actually, it that really had a very low budget. It mm. liked to think it had a big budget, but it really showed when it, it was mostly just talk. And when there was any kind of scene of, you know supposed action or invasion it was very you know you could practically see the people with the you know puppets behind or the strings or whatever it was really kind of cheaply done whereas this to give it its due that the fights that the aliens and everything are actually quite convincing and they've thrown a big bit of money at it which makes it entertaining and actually quite a strong performance in a way from Aaron Eckhart who's actually um, he's not I'm, you know a big fan of him and mm -hmm. um, you know he's, he's he's a good actor and yeah. so actually to have to actually put that's that's the, maybe the difference between that and Skyline and stuff as well is that you can if you actually put a good actor in there then sometimes you can sort of you can they can carry that di those dialogue that, those bits of dialogue and then the action revolves around it. It's a nice little yeah, backstory but, for but, him as well, isn't well, it? Well, yeah, right? well, there's an Come all on. right backstory for him. I mean, no, but you, I mean, a, 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 an actor is only as good as kind of his character, really. And, you know, we were practically, in fact, at one point we were checking off, like, things. And, like, you know, we saw the, the guy going off with his pregnant wife. Mm. You know, we saw the guy going off with his, um, oh, what was the other one? The dog. The dog. Having yeah, a yeah. dog in there, that's the dog. dog. That. Um, and just, just all these little sort of cliche tick ones. Yeah. Every give race has to be represented. To my, yeah, give this letter to my wife. Absolutely. All that. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it was. I'm not slagging it off in terms of, 
you see a trailer, you think, oh, that'll be a big, fun, entertaining movie. I don't really think it has got much more of an edge to it than that. Aaron Eckhart was good. He's an entertaining um, and film. He's got, yeah, it is an entertaining film. Mm. It was better. I thought it would be a bit sort of schlockier than that. And it was, you know, it was good. So solid Friday night fun. Yeah. You need to get some cheesy lines in there, such as when when you need to look at and, and examine an alien, then why not um, step up with the line, let me have a look. I'm a veterinary nurse. <laughs> yeah. so we won't talk any more about that then. Let's yeah. just leave it at that. Um, Hall Pass, which I haven't seen. Um, you've you've seen this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's this one about? Um, this is the new Farrelly Brothers movie who did Dumb and Dumber and there's something about Mary. And they haven't really done a film in the last few years. The last one they did was The Heartbreak Kid with um, Ben Stiller, mm-hmm. which was a remake about four or five years ago. And that wasn't very well received, and it wasn't that funny. It was okay; it had its moments. Yeah, it was alright. Um, but I think people were were quite hoping for a real return to form with this. And there's been quite a lot of buzz about it. And early reviews, especially sort of stateside, were very good. Um, it is a good film. It is funny. Um, it's it's it, what I quite like about it is that so many films at the moment, sort of these kind of comedy movies. Sort of not always the the kind of the new frat pack lot, but they quite often they will just throw joke after joke after joke, you know, ten jokes in a scene or whatever, and one or two of those will catch fire, and the other the other times you have to sit there and sort of politely smile or just just feel a bit awkward as they kind of miss the mark. The good thing about hall pass is actually they don't you know you take a scene they don't go for joke after joke after joke they might actually leave it they'll have a not a serious conversation it's not that kind of movie but you know they'll have a normal conversation it's you know entertaining dialogue or whatever and then then there'll be a joke and then the joke tends to be funny and it has more of an impact i think mm-hmm. than just you know just over and over i'm not saying it's a drama it's very much still a comedy it's all very light-hearted but in terms of the jokes i think when they hit they're actually quite funny um it's not a perfect movie um Stephen merchant is pops up you can see him on the poster mm. and he is sort of one of a, a kind of a group of friends who are the you know it's the, the main two guys owen wilson and, and jason sudless he, uh, the characters are there's these two married guys they're kind of mourning their single life a bit they feel that they've kind of got into a rut with life they still think that they're kind of like you know get out and pull lads they've still got their mentality right um to them and basically their wives give them a, a week off from marriage as we've discuss this hall pass idea um but with that as i say comes this group of you know there's quite a lot of scenes early on in the film where it's these two guys um and they're sort of three or four group of friends who are just sitting in bars you know talking about the situation you know kind of mourning their single life together and uh they're sort of completely pointless really they i mean they they don't add anything even i mean you can even tell that you know the guys writing it can tell they don't mean anything they ditch them like a third into the film there's there's kind of no need and it just kind of makes it a bit untidy and a bit you know just sort of on you know it doesn't add anything to it and they're not particularly funny Stephen merchant has a few great lines they're very you know it's very english sort of gervasian humor yeah fans of his will enjoy it but it doesn't really fit with the humor of the rest of the film so even that becomes slightly uncomfortable um what about owen wilson then because um it was only a a few podcasts ago that you decided to say you get started and get a little bit fed up yeah owen wilson yeah better now um i i kind of put that out of my mind when I went to see this because I didn't want to think oh god it's an Owen Wilson film because he does as I say it's kind of a double act in terms of the lead actors of the film Mm -hmm. um he is less annoying in this one he's sort of he's a real guy 
he doesn't go too smarmy, too over the top, too kind of Owen Wilson-y. Um, and I think, yeah, he's better in this film. I, I still, he's not my favourite, but that's, I'm not going to judge the film on that because that's my personal hindrance, if you like. No, we um, aren't quite friends again then. You just no, we, no, we haven't made up just yet. No, okay. Um, no, I, 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 I mean, he's he's better in this than he has been in a lot of things recently. Um, and it's it's the film is also quite it's interesting. It's quite kind of broad in some ways. It's um, it's got this big subplot to do with the wives. Usually, the wives are very much kind of window dressing in these kind of films. Mm. Um, but they had their own massive. You know, when these guys go off with their hall pass or whatever, and they're following all the all the stuff that goes on with them, it's not very gross out humor it sort of adds another layer of comedy that i think makes it more accessible to you know if if the husband and wife go and see it to sort of the wives okay you know it's not this kind of laddie so much for a bromance yeah not so, so much okay yeah. uh, the other big release this week is fair game um starring naomi watts and sean penn uh, it's directed this one by doug lyman who of course directed uh, the born identity before paul greengrass took over um it's based on the on the true story. This one on uh, of a CIA agent whose um, identity is exposed when her ex politician husband publishes a story about false evidence into weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, and that's when it sort of unravels. Hmm. Hmm. What do you think? I think, as, as you say, when it you know, and it starts to unravel. I think that's the point when the movie could kind of should have started it takes a while doesn't I it I think it takes a while and it's it's quite intriguing to a point but then I think there is too much there they could have cut it so the first half is quite ploddy you know it's a very grown up thriller I think it thinks it's more intelligent than it maybe is at points yeah. in, in the first half anyway and then when it when it gets to this point where you know her identity is being unveiled and you know people are really starting to you know go at them mm. um, it it becomes a lot more entertaining and really, 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 really riveting. Mm. Um, so I think they could have just clocked off the first half of that, really. And good performances from Naomi Watts Yeah, Watson, really Sean good performance. Penn. Yeah, well, we were saying sort of Sean Penn is very much a... You've seen him doing lots of... You know, he's quite a vocal guy. Um, mm. He's done a lot of interviews, you know, bashing the Bush administration and everything. So you kind of feel that his role here is this man sort of, you know, banging the drum for sort of conspiracy theorists and... Um, you know slagging off the Bush administration is very much him is very much kind of you know maybe he even pushed for this role push for kind of the film almost yeah um, so a lot it, of these films coming out at the moment aren't they about the the weapons of mass destruction and what's go, what, what happened in Iraq and mm. um, you know we've seen actually another another born director with Paul Greengrass doing a film like this which um, I thought was you know it's a different kind of film really because that's a bit more Action packed, isn't yeah, it's it? Yeah, on the front um, line on, of it, on, with, with Green is... Zone. Um, but this one, you know, uh, it's not it's not not a bad film. I think it gets its point across and certainly makes people think about yeah, exactly. you know who who, who to trust, etc. Mm, okay, a couple of films we need to just skirt over as we've not been podding for the last few weeks. And um, let's just quickly go on to Unknown. Liam Neeson, Diane Kruger. It's a, in my view, it's a bad mix of Taken and born uh taken was on tv just the other a few nights ago mm-hmm. and i love taken yeah i love taken it was good it was very very entertaining and i'm a massive fan of the born franchise um and it looks like it's trying really hard to be gritty and thrilling and it just yeah. doesn't manage it I mean, we've done this storyline before about an assassin who has forgotten them you know what who they are and, and what what they're doing and so you would say it's kind of more a, just a sort of a rip off of born yeah would you say i i literally think it's almost not shot for shot but literally if, if you take the plot points and everything 
I think it literally is just taken, done again. Like, take it, I mean, Liam Neeson was saying, you know, in an interview the other day, he thought that Taken was going to go straight to video. He had no, you know, expectation for it. And now it's this kind of massive cult hit. Um, Which they're making another one for, is that right? They're thinking about Taken 2? I th- it'd be interesting to, you know, who are they going to take? Where yeah. are they going to take them? You know, the first one was quite specific. I mean, literally, Taken, uh, Unknown, sorry, is, is, you know, he's he's a gruff kind of mysterious stranger um, with a sort of a quite violent past who arrives in, in a European city. Okay, so, right. so far we've got one and one, Unknown yeah. and Taken. All right, he drives past a few landmarks. There's a few big shots in there, okay, for, for both, yeah. So um, then, you know, something big, some big action thing um, goes down and Liam Neeson gets very angry and Liam Neeson plods around said European city hurting a lot of people um, in the name of trying to, you know, kind of discover, you know, a big blonde American TV actress. You have Maggie Grace in Lost as his daughter in Taken and now you've got January Jones from Mad Men in Unknown. Uh, And he does that and he hurts a few more people um, and... Yeah, and eventually, you know, he's he's doing shootout at airports. There's lookout. There's big shootouts in airports in both films. You know, these sort of grimy backstreet places um, in both films, and then it comes to a sort of a quite a quite final conclusion in in both films. I literally yeah. think that they saw Taken, they saw what a monster surprise hit it was, um, and thought, oh, that's good. Let's do it again. You know, Liam Neeson has sort of built up this new little reputation as this kind of, you know, the older man kind of action hero. Um, and he does it very well, but not so much in in Unknown. It's a really just messy film. So if you want to see if you want to see Unknown, um, but you want it to be a bit better, just see Taken. Just see Taken. Exactly. Um, I saw that back to back with uh, the Adjustment Bureau, and uh, I really really liked this film. Um, yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, Matt Damon uh, and uh, Emily Blunt in this one. It's it's glossy. Yeah. It's uh, it's mainstream, yeah. but it, it's fun, and, yeah. and I think it's very well done. And the story is based on. Philip K. Dick's short story adjustment team. He's mm. of course the man behind Blade Runner, yeah. which of course is so called has... uh, "Do Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep?" Yeah. So Fact he has a history. <laughs> yeah. So he has a history of obviously being quite successful in his film sort of translations. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, so so basically, um, this is Matt Damon he playing um, a politician who is trying to outrun a predetermined path for his life when he meets Emily Blunt, who is a dancer. Uh, he falls in love with her, but the problem is that their paths. They, they do not account for this. And so Damon is determined to change his path and to put this right and to be with yeah. Emily Blunt's character it's forever. Kind of, yeah, it's kind of like it's Inception meets Romeo and Juliet meets kind of the Truman Show, I think. Yeah. It's got these, it's got these kind of weird sense. elements to it. Like, it's, as you say, it's a very kind of glossy film, but it's, it's quite, I mean, it's a very kind of strong story. It's a bit ridiculous, but I mean, apart from the fact that it's got a very hasty ending... It's very well, you know, paced. It's very entertaining. It keeps you kind of guessing to a degree. It keeps you kind of enthralled with it. It's like a light. Um, it's like a lighter in terms of its color version yeah. of Inception as well. Yeah, it's yeah. Just better I for mean, a family audience. Yeah, and Matt Damon and Emily Blunt—they're both very, they're very good actors, and they're just really, really likable. You really like yeah. watching them for two hours. You know, even if the you know, as I was saying, it's not a perfect movie. You know, it's just great fun to watch them and in quite an entertaining sort of circumstances. And yeah, it's a very sort of good film. The chemistry's good. Yeah, and it's New York and I'm a massive New York fan. So all those kind of gratuitous shots of them running around sort of the nice parts of New York is very, you know, really great backdrop for the story as well. Yeah. Okay, Rango. What Mm. about Rango then? This is um, animation with, with Johnny Depp. 
Well, Rango's Rango's a weird one, but then I think the people that want to go and see Rango will know it's kind of a weird one. So I haven't seen um, Rango, so you have to fill no, us in on well, this it, one. Well, it kind of starts off. It's it's Johnny Depp, obviously. Is kind of, I mean, it's an animated movie. Johnny Depp is the voice of Rango, this this lizard, and um, the director of it is Gore Verbinski, who directed the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Mm. So obviously, the first time they hooked up, it was quite financially viable. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and also, you know, not to knock the movie, the first Pirates movie was a really good film, sort of, you know, very much a success story. Rango is a good film, but it's a really weird film. It starts off, um, the first 15 minutes of it are sort of this, it's almost like a little short film onto itself. Um, Rango is, is very much a kind of a, a dreamer, he's an actor, he's a very sort of insecure lizard, <laughs> and... Um, he sort of gets thrown out into this really weird circumstances just into the middle of the desert. Um, and obviously he's very sort of domesticated. He's not he's not used to that. And there's there's some really great moments with him sort of dealing with nature, you know, out in the desert. Um, and it makes for a very funny and very entertaining first kind of 15 minutes. And in a way, you kind of feel that was really, really good. Let's end it there. Let's put that as a short movie. Let's put that before, you know, when you go and see Toy Story 3 or something. Yeah. It's a really good movie. It's a really good... Um, and then he arrives at this town and that's when the whole real kind of western you know because it's a tribute to westerns really when this whole sort of western uh kind of spoof starts and then i think it kind of gets a bit weaker and it's it's not as strong as it was at the beginning it's a pg but it's a really really adult film what way i would i would say well i mean take a film like toy story 3 where which really kind of mastered this this art of being funny and being having enough sort of references and entertainment for both adults and kids mm. um rango kind of almost kind of forgets that its main audience is, is kids within the first five minutes you've had this massive you know fear and loathing in las vegas reference which is obviously one of the most like adult books films of all time mm. hunter s thompson which of course johnny depp was the lead in the in the film version mm. which was you know quite successful about 15 years ago or so now um and so you've had a real you know, big reference to that, which the kids obviously aren't going to know about, um, which sort of lingers on for a little bit. And sort of, you know, the adults in the audience are laughing, the film buffs and everything, but the little kids don't have any idea what's going on. Um, then there's this bit and it's this, I think it's an armadillo or something just gets run over and it's really graphic. Like he's kind of just lying like roadkill in the middle of the road. Um, and it's entire kind of middle body has been run over and it's got this really, you know, graphic, hole through the middle of it and you're thinking even I was kind of thinking squeamish you know getting a bit kind of squeamish and you think okay you can watch so many people get you know knifed in unknown and not blink an eyelid but then you just see you know an animated character massacred like that and it's really massive and you think kids are watching this this is a bit like you know it's quite it's quite kind of real almost and um I just from that point on I was kind of really looking out for moments where I thought okay well when when are the kids really going to like this Obviously, the Western genre is very grown up anyway. It's not really the kind of thing that too many kids watch. Um, and I just I just thought it was a bit strange, really. Um, and then there's a massive Clint Eastwood reference at the end, and you just sort of think, okay, well, who are they aiming at this as? Having said that, it is entertaining. It's beautifully animated, especially the beginning. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's worth seeing. If you're intrigued by it, go and see it, because it is a strange experience. Okay. Um, before we move on, then, just a reminder that you can get in contact with Feature Length by emailing us, featurelengthpod at gmail.com, and you can follow us on Twitter as well by searching Feature Length. That's all one word. Um, right. We've been promising this for um, for a little while now. Seth's introduction to foreign cinema, as we're going to make foreign cinema a recurring focus on this programme as well. I'm not letting that 
we're not going to let them just you know, fall fall by and just go over the mainstream. We're going to be focusing on a couple of foreign cinema releases as well. Uh, there are some amazing films out there, Seth, and a lot of people are, are put off of, of foreign films. Why do you think that is? Well, I think foreign films have this kind of conception of being quite hard work, of maybe being, you know, a bit sort of boring or, you know, the, the, the subtitles think that people have to work that much harder to kind of get something out of them to enjoy them. And, I mean, even even I know a lot of film fans sometimes think, oh, you know, I just want to kick back and watch a, a film tonight. You know, I don't really have to think about it. I don't want to watch a foreign film because then I'll have to focus on the subtitles or whatever. And I think that's quite an unfair kind of opinion, really. Just quite well um, to read. No, because a, a good, as I said, a good story is a good story. And the fact that it's in another language doesn't make it, you know, a particularly tough watch. You're, you're sort of listening and processing dialogue when you're watching a film you know, if you're watching a sort of, a, you know, a film with a particular kind of drama slant or whatever, if you're watching a film more for its visuals, if you're watching a Transformers or whatever, just you can kind of find a, a sort of a foreign equivalent, a Pan's Labyrinth or something where, you know, as well as it having a great story, not saying you shouldn't pay attention, you can get these real, this real kind of visual, you know, enjoyment out of it. And I, um, I just think, I just don't, I think people need to give foreign films more of a chance. Okay, so where so where would people start then? What what's the easy? What, well, the thing the is, I mean, foreign then? films are kind of up against the wall a bit because they they don't get the distribution that obviously the major releases do, um, especially in sort of the smaller towns in the cities and everything where you've got more you know choice. Round here, we do this in Chichester. I mean, you're lucky to find it unless it's you know a film that has a massive buzz. You know, every once in a while, a big film comes along, a big foreign film, which for some reason gets a massive amount of interest, such as Amelie in the past. Yeah, yeah, something like Amelie. Um, I, guess, I mean, I guess you could say Slumdog Millionaire, but that you know, even though that's a foreign setting, that's very much a British film. Mm. So you know, I think that's a bad example, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, forget me. Um, I think yeah, just look to the classics. Look to the reasons why people you know really love you know foreign cinema and the the films that sort of will go down if you speak to critics. People who really love films will go down as you know some of the best films of the last 10 years you know inclusive as you say films like Amelie you know you've got The Lives of Others the German movie Love you've got Pan's film. Labyrinth you know Guillermo del Toro yeah um you know and obviously you're getting these waves of you know as well very kind of I mean western films have been very much influenced by them as well these kind of you know the the kind of kung fu movies mm. the sort of you know this Japanese kind of oriental you know martial arts and everything such as well something, something like, like Crouching that. Tiger Hidden Dragon yeah. which is the mo- I mean that's still the most successful mon- uh, foreign language film you know in the United States they're beautifully know, shot though as well things yeah. like that and Hero yeah. remember Hero was there was yeah exactly beautiful I mean as well. films like you know the Girl with the Dragon tattoo films were, yeah. that have got a lot of you know awards you know attention recently and I mean those have had a wide distribution purely because the books have become such an event mm. you know so they've become you know they've got very loyal fans the same way in, you know something like maybe even a Twilight or a Harry Potter obviously they have different audiences but they're still a very loyal group mm. um so what do you think of the of the fact that that's being remade then into a... So this is like, this is actually a, good, a fairly good example then of people yeah. that can't be bothered to, that don't have that, yeah. don't want to put the effort into watching that those foreign films and reading the subtitles that yeah. they realise that, you know, that the Girl of Dragon Tattoo, the Millennium series, they are so popular mm. that they're actually remaking them all again mm. um, in an English language with, with Daniel Craig. I think that in a way, I mean, that there's sort of the two things. First of all, you might think, oh, no, people are going to be put off then even more going to, you know, just wait for the American one or whatever to come. 
But then at the same time, you would hope people would see that, really like it. I'm sure it's going to be a good movie, the cast, and obviously David Finch is doing it. Yeah. I think it's going to be a really strong film and couple that with the story, which is a very good, you know, cinematic story. Um, you know, you would hope as well that people would see that thing, oh, I like that, let's go and, you know, where did that come from, and go and check out the original. Mm. Um, and, you know, as well, if you're watching these films, which, you know, with a lot of foreign stars, like Numi Rapace, the woman from, you know, who did the original Girl with the Dragon Tattoo... She's going to be in Sherlock Holmes too. Mm. Um, she's the female lead in that. So you know, if you watch films like that, think, oh, you know, they're good. Go and see. You know, check out what they've done in the past. Mm. Um, like... You know, someone like Marion Cotillard. Yeah. You know, who's obviously like Inception. Mm. You know, really good. One of the le- sort of one of the leads in Inception. She made her name, or she sort of certainly made her international name in La Vie en Rose, but she actually won the Oscar Best yeah. Actress Oscar, kind of a surprise a few years ago. Um, and you know just go go back and sort of look at her past films look at her french films and you know she's doing just as good work maybe even better because it's sort of you know her natural you know sort of language yeah sort of way her mother you know, tongue he's her mother tongue exactly yeah um so no i think i think yeah i think foreign films just don't be afraid give them a chance exactly okay it's been done to death um but we're going to quickly recap over them because the last time we did the podcast we were previewing the oscars mm. Um, quite a few weeks ago now, but um, just to see um, how we got on the King's Speech, which we did tip for um, uh, the best film, and yeah. to, and, it, and it swept the entire Oscars, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, and deserved. Well done. Um, yeah, deserved. I, I was well quite done. surprised. Yeah, well, I mean, Colin Firth was very good. The film is very good. Mm. You know, it was a shame, for instance, Jeffrey Rush didn't get Best Sporting Actor, although Christian Bale was, you know, you know, deserved it. Yeah. Um, I, I think the biggest surprise of it all was that Tom Hooper won Best Director. I mean, even you know, even at the BAFTAs, David Fincher won it. You know, David Fincher has kind of been the favourite. You know, I think for most people, he was the favourite going in. Um, so the fact that you, you know it's pretty much his first you know major film mm. going in and winning the Oscar for it. Um, you know, good for him and, and quite a surprise. And I think that really shows how much the King's Speech has sort of been received internationally. You know, by by the sort of the film community. Um, and yeah, I, I think very well done. Obviously, it's great as a Brit to you know see see us do so well over there. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah, very British dominated Oscars, wasn't it? Exactly. Throughout, not even just the King's Speech, like you say, with Christian Bale yeah. as well. Okay, um, so that's it for this episode of Feature Length. We can promise that the pod will now be weekly. So join us again next week for another pod. You can, of course, subscribe through iTunes by searching Feature Length on the iTunes store, thus meaning you'll get a brand new episode delivered straight to your computer as soon as it is available. It's that easy. Send your own views on films to featurelengthpod at gmail.com. But it's goodbye from us for now, though, and we'll speak again next week.